Up until now on the podcast series, we have listened to an array of impressive creators in writing, scholarship, teaching, filmmaking, music, performing arts, entrepreneurship, faith, and even parenting. If you haven't listened to all of these, I encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes. They are with some amazing folks. One thing we haven't done, however, is to explore what creativity is from a psychological viewpoint, and that's what's going to happen today. Keep listening as I talk with Dr. Alicia Berganti, Associate Professor of Psychology, and Dr. Travis McKee-Vorst, Assistant Professor of Psychology, both of Dalton State College, about what really goes on when we use our creativity. Welcome back to Dialogues with Creators. Today, we will have a conversation, not just a dialogue, because we have two guests, both colleagues of mine. First, I want them to introduce themselves as they would like, because they're obviously capable of doing so. First, Dr. Alicia Brigante. Alicia, tell us about yourself, especially something about your story, as they say, towards getting to Dalton. All right. Thank you, Barbara. Um, I want to first thank you for inviting me to do this. I've actually never done a podcast before, so I'm excited to do it. Um, yes, my name is Alicia. I am from Louisiana. I'm still in the South. I spent, I guess, all of my life in the South, just three different states. Um, born and raised in Louisiana. I received my bachelor's degree in psychology from Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, after that, I left and went to the University of Texas at Austin and received my master's degree in developmental psychology. And then I transferred back to LSU to finish my PhD, which I got in cognitive developmental psychology. So um, all areas of psychology, but mainly focused on cognitive and developmental. Those are two um, R1 research heavy universities. So I did a lot of research while I was at both schools. Um, and during my time at LSU, um, I got the opportunity to uh, uh, serve as a teaching assistant. And after receiving my master's and taking a teaching seminar course, I was uh, then given the opportunity to teach my own classes as instructor of record, um, introduction to psychology and child psychology. And I realized that I um, had more passion for teaching than just strictly research. And so that is how I got to Dalton State College. I, in my job search, was applying to schools that were more teaching focused. Um, and so I applied at Dalton State as one of the options um, got offered and have been here since 2013. That's interesting that you were at uh, UT Austin. Mm -hmm. um, who did you study with there? Uh, Dr. Les Cohen. So I did research with infants at UT Austin. Wow. Okay. Yes, um, which is an experience in, a, in and of itself because, you know, typical research, you have participants come in, you know, whether it's um, a survey they can fill out or an interview that they can answer questions or doing some kind of, of experiment. You can't do that with infants. And mm -hmm. so that was, yeah, that was a, a, a neat experience, but it can also be frustrating at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, and can I just ask quickly what what kind of experiment you would do or research I shouldn't say experiment but with a with a baby 
Yes. And I guess you can say a creativity um, applies here because coming up with ways to ask and answer questions about infant development uh, requires, you know, some amount of creativity thinking outside the box. Um, with infants, we use a lot of um, measuring looking behaviors. So what they're looking at, how long they're looking at um, stimuli. So um, the length of time can suggest things about what's familiar versus what's not, because infants love to look at things that are new. They Once they get familiar with something, they become bored and they stop looking at it. Um, right. And with, uh, we also use a similar procedure to look at preferences. So you put up two different stimuli on a, a screen and just measure where like the infants are looking and for how much time at each. So it's a lot of looking time measurements. Oh, okay. I guess, yeah, I can see where that would be frustrating because they're not exactly going to understand what you want or Work. Yeah, so it's a lot of inferencing. Yeah, they wouldn't care either. <laughs> <laughs> but the frustrating thing is uh, babies become fussy. And so yeah. once they start crying or fall asleep, we can no longer use their data. <laughs> how, how old was the oldest one you, you worked with? Um, I did it ranges from 14 to 18 months. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow, that's neat. Um, didn't know that about you. Okay, that's when you say uh, cognitive and developmental, I was... I wasn't thinking babies, but yes, that would be where you would start. Okay. Um, so that's, that's uh, Alicia, what about you, um, Dr. Travis McGee-Vorst? He is also in the Department of Social Sciences at Dalton State College. So tell us something about your journey to where you are now. Boy, it's been a long one. Uh, I am also thank you, by the way, for for inviting me on this podcast. I, I love the the question of of creativity ever since you sort of introduced that. And you know, I've I've had lots of opportunity just to sort of ponder on, yeah, what what is that? You know, what is the question? How does creativity um, sort of play a role in my life? And I, I definitely think um, just even the question, like you know, where, where do you come from is such an important question and, and how does that influence my own creativity and, you know, our different backgrounds, I think certainly influence that. Um, and, and I, I think I do have lots of different perspective, um, because of some of my background that, that I'll share with here, but, um, I, I was, I was, I'll, I'll start from when I was 14 months old, I guess. No, but I was born in, uh, uh, <laughs> I was born in Minnesota. I don't remember that, uh, particularly, but, um, when I was, when I was about four years old, we, we moved to Germany where my, my father's, uh, family is from. Um, and then I spent, um, my, my, up to my teenage ages in, in Germany, um, until I was 15. So I grew up, uh, speaking, speaking German, went to German public school. Um, and, and I think that even just sort of language and, and sort of how we form language, I think is something that I, uh, that influences me to this day when I do math, math, because I learned math and German, I think in German when I, when I'm doing my multiplication tables, because that's, that's how I learned them. Um, and so then when I was 15, I moved to uh, Minnesota. My, my mother was in Minnesota, so I went to high school there, um, got made fun of for my German accent for a little while, so I don't have that anymore. Um, then um, I, I went to school in Minnesota. I got my bachelor's uh, degree from Bemidji State University as the first university on the Mississippi, I guess. 
um, way up there. Um, and then I went to Arkansas after that, where I, um, after I met my wife, she was studying uh, for her PhD uh, in, in Arkansas. And so I went to Arkansas, followed her there and got a specialist degree in psychology and counseling. Um, in between that time, you know, actually after my bachelor's degree, I worked lots of different jobs. Um, like while I was going to school, um, I supported sort of myself and family during that time doing lots of different things. Um, I, I was a roofer for a while that, that made me appreciate academia. Um, I've done, I've, uh, you know, I've done lots of small jobs and I say that because I think all these experiences definitely influence like how I think about things, um, and how I do things. And then after that, um, uh, we moved to Dalton after, um, after my, my wife uh, was offered a job at Dalton state. Um, I've been during that time I was working as a mental health therapist, um, first in the community, um, then at, then at Dalton state at the, as a head of the counseling center, um, until I took a teaching position, um, as well. I still continue to, um, have a private practice on the side. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in, in, um, doing and teaching. So, uh, you know, I think that again, it helps, helps form how I, how I think about, um, teaching and learning and what I can share with, um, students as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I got got to Dalton. Okay, uh, let me back up a little bit. I think that's fascinating what you um, said about the German because you de- you may not have a German accent, but you definitely have a Minnesota one. Ah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, that's, I've always found that a very uh, distinct one. And let me go back. What what classes do you? particularly teach well i mean other i guess both of you teach intro to psych that's kind of like in my department everybody teaches public speaking course but yeah but what I, you, I didn't finish up with the uh you know i, I did you know my phd from university of georgia um right during that time as well. But, um, yeah, so my sort of the upper division courses that I teach are personality, which I'll definitely talk about, um, personality theories, um, as it comes to creativity. I think, I think that's, that's definitely how I frame creativity. Um, and some of the, and I'll, I'll mention some of the personality theorists here, uh, as we, as we continue our conversation about personality theories, abnormal psychology. I think that fits more sort of in that clinical, um, aspect, uh, and, uh, sort of the special specialty course, uh, psychology of religion, um, is one of the upper division courses I teach. Okay. Uh, and Alicia, what about you? Yes. In addition to teaching the intro to psychology course, um, every so often, I actually don't teach it as often as, um, my colleagues, I teach human development every semester. Mm. Um, and then on a rotating basis, I teach child psychology and then adolescent psychology. Um, and I teach cognitive psychology. Those are the ones I teach most often. Okay. All right. So that gives the, uh, the listeners an idea of, you know, uh, where you guys are uh, situated there in academia, as we say. Mm. Okay. Um, so moving on, many, uh, many of the people I've had on the podcast, and that's about 23 people so far, I think your number is 23 and 24, are what is now called a term I do not like, a creative. And that is not a word I've used, but I just use the word creatives, and that's what we're doing here. You are 
And you all are both creators in various places in life, especially in the classroom. But I wanted you on because I think you have insights into what creativity is, where it comes from and how it operates. Uh, I'd like to start with you, Travis, from your education, research and experience. What is your understanding of creative processes and its origins? And that is like the wor- like, like the worst question in the world. And I'm sorry, but <laughs> it'll give me a lot to jump off on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, like like I said, you know, as as you introduced or the, the the podcast and the idea, I've been I've been thinking about really what you know what does that mean mean to be creative and um, you know I think I've I mentioned that you know I, I pull a lot from you know personality theory as I was uh, as I was thinking about this and um, specifically about this idea of, of these different constructs that we develop um, you know and, and Alicia will talk about maybe the development. Uh, aspects behind this, but so just the ideas that we develop about what the world is like, you know, we think about, you know, the early questions, um, you know, what do we pay attention to? Um, and once we sort of understand like, Hey, this is sort of my understanding of, of, you know, this specific topic. Um, I think there's, there's some variation, um, in the flexibility to which those constructs then later get applied to, to different aspects of, of the world. Um, you know, if we think about, you know, what's, what's the difference between a cat and a dog, um, you know, that that's, you know, for us, that's an easy, easy question in, in some ways in our minds, but when you go to describe it, uh, it becomes much more difficult. Um, and then when we see an animal that maybe looks like, Hey, that looks like a dog, um, we're applying a construct that, that we have about what a dog is like to a, a new organism. Um, and we can apply that to lots and lots of different things. Like when we apply it to, you know, Hey, that house or that cloud looks like, like a dog. Um, some people are much more, um, able to, I think, apply some of those constructs to lots of different things. And some are much more constrained in, in what they apply those, those ideas to. And I think to me, that is, that is one of the essential pieces of, of creativity. Um, to others, it may just seem crazy, right? Like, what do you mean that that cloud looks like a dog? That cloud looks like a cloud. Um, clouds come in different shapes. Um, and to others, it's it's very easy to see that. Um, and they have flexibility to, to what they can apply those constructs to. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about education, I, I think that's one of the, the big questions in education. I think we all have had students come to us and say, you know, gosh, I'm not really quite sure on why I have to learn this, right? I'm not going to be able to apply this ever in my life. And I think that's sort of a narrowing of that construct that we're trying to, we're trying to broaden. You know, if you can, if you can create a sense in a different way, that allows you to apply problem solving in other aspects of your life, not just in, in composing a, a, a piece of literature, but to thinking about what are other ways I can solve this problem that's in front of me. Um, so I think the more different and varied experience that we have, like language, um, I, I think language and culture is, is such a great place to learn from. I, from being not just bilingual, but bicultural, um, when I read a text, I've, I've read text, the same text in different languages and understand that even if you translate the words, the meanings are different because they have different cultural contexts. Mm-hmm. And 
that's, I think, another aspect of that creativity. If we, if I can think about it from a different perspective, if I can, if I can take these different experiences and apply them to new ones, um, I think that that to me is, is, is creativity. Right. Oh, that's, you just opened up a big can of worms for me because, um, you know, and in my field, it's more, it gets more into the linguistics and, um, you know, even something that some languages have gender versus English doesn't, you know, German has three, you know, but man's languages have two. And, and, um, you know, so that, that's, that's a great, I'm going to have have you all back later (laughs) next season. Um, you know, but then, um, the idea of have culture, you know, the old sacred Warfian thing about culture and language and how they're connected. And, and, um, you know, it always fascinates me that some languages have words for the concepts that in English we don't have and vice versa. I remember Dr. Min, who's Chinese saying that the Chinese do not have a term for, I don't feel comfortable with that, <laughs> you know, because they're a more collectivist society. So for someone to, to say, I don't feel comfortable with that does not just doesn't fit into that, you know. So um, being bilingual and that this is, you know, is why I I get frustrated with people not wanting to to know other languages, even to start to learn them, because that does open your creativity so much more in any kind of cross-cultural experience. I'm, you know, obviously uh, believe in that a big, a lot. Um, yeah, that, that's that flexibility. And, you know, it's, I think all of us in, in college teaching, I don't think it matters what the, the uh, discipline get those students that are like, why do I have to study this? I mean, I know the math people probably get it the worst, which is sad mm. because uh, <laughs> it's just sad. Um, but the, you know, we get it uh, for everything. You know, why are we taking these classes? I want to be at this. It doesn't have anything to do with this subject I'm in. It's like, you know, and to me, it's a it's a limitation on an understanding that the brain is not a zero sum game, so to speak, that the brain is limited. You know, you can only hold this much in your head. So in order for you to put anything else in there, it's going to displace it. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, uh, it's but somehow that people get that idea that they can only hold so much, you know, and it's uh, oh, thank you so much uh, for that. You know, you talk about the dogs and the cats. Okay, this is my thing. It, which, it's a fox. What is that? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Is it a dog or a cat? You know, um, so and, and I guess that kind of falls in with children and how they're learning, too. So um, we'll come back to that. But Alicia, what you know, from your your educational perspective, um, how do you see the understanding of creative processes and their origins and such? Uh, well, I'll start off by saying I agree a lot with what Travis was saying, um, especially starting young. Uh, vast experiences is important, um, and especially during, you know, playtime and the just just what we give children during playtime and, and, you know, how we quote unquote allow them to use it or just even everyday tasks in the household. I know that um, when my son, who's now seven, was younger, when he was trying to first start doing things on his own, I had to stop myself from like telling him, oh, no, that's not how you do it. (laughs) Because why, you know, 
why does he have to do something the same way that I learned how to do it? If mm-hmm. he finds a way that, you know, makes it easier for him or whatever. Um, and so just stepping back and allowing children to figure things out on their own, you know, to a certain extent, obviously, while also making sure that they're doing things in a safe way. Um, but yeah, so just giving them different experiences, different materials to work with, um, I see in culture, um, as was mentioned, also plays a role. Um, here, I think we have a lot of uh, products, toys that were made to be played with in a more or less specific way, um, which could sort of hinder creativity versus just giving kids objects and then letting them figure out what they want to do with them. Um, and so how we advertise toys and how you should, you know, play with them or, or in things like that. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, from a developmental perspective, that's one thing I was um, I was thinking about uh, culture. I also think um, influences sort of how we even evaluate, like what is creative. Um, and so and I think that's a tricky thing. I, mean, I think that's, you know, subjective for me to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's creative, but something else isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and culture can play a role in that too. We perceive ideas of creativity, you know, through through our culture and and uh, the experiences that we had growing up. That's a whole question itself. Is you know, is it possible to define the word creative? And um, the the American Psychological Association basically says it's more complicated than this, but it basically it says it's something new, but it's also something that is useful or recognized as um, of some sort of usefulness or value to people, you know, uh, so that it's, that you can, it is new. It hasn't been done before, even if it's just a little bit of a tweak on something, which is usually the case, but it also other people have to see have to, at some level have to recognize it. You know, um, it has to fit. It, 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 it's kind of hard to explain. I don't mean that it's useful. You can make money out of it. Just that other people have to have some connection with it. You know, um, that's kind of basically what they say. But, I, you know, that's just that's just one view of it. I don't I. Why can't it just be something new? <laughs> Why can't it just right. create me? You know, and for the child, I think that's a, that's a great example because the child isn't worried about whether somebody thinks it's new or recognizes it as creative or anything, the kids are just having a good time. And mm-hmm. there's all kinds of great things going on in their, their brains as it's happening in their, their motor skills and stuff. So. I just um, want to mention maybe the, yeah. the, the cultural differences in the value of creativity as well. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, like, like Alicia was saying, I think we, we sort of, do a lot to limit creativity in many ways, right? When you're when you're not following the rules, um, you know we we have this, this set of rules that exists specifically with within a culture, um, you know, and and you know sometimes in some very small cultures, family cultures, um, you know, school cultures, um, that when somebody operates outside of that, one definition of that, hey, is they're being creative. 
And the other definition is they're not following the rules, right? Mm -hmm. They're not coloring in the lines. They are not, um, they're not coloring the plant, the right colors, right? Mm -hmm. Purple trees aren't, don't exist. Um, you know, so you can't, you're not allowed to color your tree purple. Um, so, so I think we have a very difficult relationship with creativity. Sometimes we value it and we're saying, wow, that's so creative. And other times like, no, that's too creative, right? We, we don't like mm-hmm. stopping so creative. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously cultural differences. And, and I think we may, we may have to find a better balance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was particularly, you know, I kind of figure you guys know a whole lot more about the brain. So <laughs> from, from your study of brain structures, where does, is there a certain place that creativity comes from or is it a whole brain thing or am I just thinking about this wrong, which is totally possible because I'm not a neurologist so or a neuroscientist. Is there a part of the brain that is more part of the creative process or is it a holistic thing? The idea of, you know, right brain, left brain, you know, yeah. largely a myth. So mm-hmm. hopefully no one <laughs> is Thank going you. in that direction. <laughs> um and that I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's more like the whole brain. So in, you know, another method that we only use 10% of our brains, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> that's not true either. Um, and so most things we do is, is requiring most parts of our brain. We may not, not be using our entire brain 24 seven, but most of the time we're using a large portion of it um, because the brain regions work together. Um, it's not just one part of the brain that's responsible for creativity, um, or, you know, memory or language or whatever you want to insert. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think of it more, and this is a topic that does come up in cognitive psychology. Um, and I think of it more as, um, networks. So, um, neurons communicating with one another. And these neurons are, you know, situated all over the brain um, and it's the communication. So um, networks operating sort of as a team uh, to induce, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, to spark creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, different sort of networks responsible for different parts of the overall function. Some of them help, you know, to generate ideas uh, because that's a large, uh, you know, the, the sort, maybe the beginning stages of creativity is just being able to come up with something new novel that hasn't already been done ideas and maybe the first ideas that you come up with aren't really that novel but those ideas will then generate other ideas um so i don't know if this is going to come up later but uh i was listening to the podcast that you did with one of our other colleagues marina smitherman um and in that one unconsciousness came up and so uh that playing a role in possibly like sometimes you're trying to figure out or solve a problem um, or come up with a solution and you can't, but you stop thinking about it for a while. And then at some point something comes to you. And so there's some, um, something about sort of just sitting on an idea or a solution that they like to use a term, you know, incubate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might, you know, our brain is sort of working in the background. So even if we're not, you know, consciously thinking about it, our brain may still be working on, you know, a problem. Um, and, and that's the whole thing of sleeping too. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I've been reading Matt Walker's book on sleeping and it's just fascinating, you know, what's going on when you sleep and the need for sleep and, and, uh, you know, we won't get off on that one, but people, people <laughs> yes. think it's, I don't like to sleep. Well, yeah, you sleep, do. Yes. Sleep is so important for so many things. Yeah. Um, but in like daydreaming, uh, right. sometimes our mind wanders and, mm-hmm. you know, just letting your mind wander sometimes can lead to other things. Um, another network that I sometimes talk about um, is termed like the salience network. So even if you are in like a, a daydream state or if you're focusing on something, if there's something that catches our attention, then, you know, we might come out of that daydream. Um, but the salience network is like when the brain, um, it's sort of like your brain is scanning and then it stops when something important sort of um, stands out. So, you know, think about driving and needing to notice when someone suddenly slams on their brake um, that should catch our attention or some loud noise off to the side. And so you look to see what that is so that you can, you know, evaluate whether that's something that you actually need to pay attention to. Um, and then the executive control. So that's, you know, the part of our system that helps us to plan, um, make decisions. Um, sort of oversees the decision making, you know, in the context of some larger goal, which may be problem solving. Um, So plan, monitor, monitor and execute those goals. And so that system may help to um, connect the other two in the overall sort of behavior of being creative. Mm hmm. Yeah, the uh, one book that I read a long time ago that I, it really helped me with this was by a, a fellow with a name that's very hard to pronounce, Success Mahalier. And he talks a lot about a divergent, which is mm-hmm. the coming up with the ideas versus the convergent, which to me is what is more along the executive function. But I really appreciate you saying what you did. I also want to throw in here that um, the idea of learning styles is not supported by the research. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but it's, you know, these are things that you hear in popular culture that are, you know, things that are supposed to be true that we know aren't, but they have a certain um, attractiveness to people. Uh-huh. You know, uh, of course I have a learning style. Now you have a learning preference, but you, you know, uh-huh. you learn always, you don't just learn by one way. Um and then the the only use 10% of the brain, you know, oh, that means I'm really smart. Sometimes <laughs> I'm smarter than I'll be done. Tap into all of it. <laughs> um, and, and, and then the unconscious thing is, uh, you know, what's going on when we're not aware of what's going on in a sense. So, uh, yeah, those are those are really uh, cool. Um, you want to add to that, Travis? 
Yeah, I was I was thinking about your original question about like, you know, is it is it localized or is it is it everywhere? And, um, you know, I, I certainly agree with uh, Alicia that, you know, we're, we're, it's everywhere. Our, our brain is in our brain is creative. Uh, our, our brain is so creative. It really doesn't even care about reality. Right. Like it. It, it, it just makes it up, right? Like in, and optical illusions, I think are a great example of that, um, you know, blind spot in our, in our eye. Like it, you know, our brain just fills it in, right? If, if, if it doesn't know what goes there, oh, we'll just put some stuff there. It just uh-huh. sort of makes it up from context clues and those kind of things. So, you know, our, 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 without creativity, you know, our brain really wouldn't work. It's just, utilizing those networks and and i think that kind of goes back to that point like if if you if you have specific networks works in place already um that gives you the foundation for new experiences whenever we have a a new experience where we're or in a new experience by the way i don't just mean out in the world but a new experience is a new thought right when we have a new thought a new idea we're utilizing existing networks that are in place perhaps we're strengthening them by utilizing them. Um, but, but the more experiences really that we can have. And I think that brings, brings your point up earlier that you said, you know, Hey, we're not, we're not wasting space here when we're, when we're learning something new, it's not that, that, you know, that we've now limited our, our, our capacity that we have on our data card to learn something new. We've actually, we've actually expanded our ability to utilize existing networks that are there to learn something new. When I, when I teach a concept, I love this. Like when, when we are teaching about neurons, sometimes, you know, I try to, we, we use different analogies like light switches and stuff like that. Um, you know, in most people have experiences with light switches Well, we're using different neural pathways to explain a new concept. Sometimes that doesn't work for people. And so, I like to utilize different experiences like, Hey, well, how do you, you understand this concept? Especially when I have some students that are like, I still don't get it. I'll have one of the students explain it. Give me an analogy. What is, what is the neural network that you're utilizing to understand this concept? In, you know, I try, I try to explain it maybe in two to three different ways. And then I have a student say, Oh, it's like a Christmas tree or something like that. And it doesn't make any sense to me, but I have a few students like, Oh yeah, that's what it's like. Well, they're utilizing neural pathways, um, that they already have to understand a new concept. Is that, is that creativity? I, I, I think so. Right. Like, yeah. So, and, and I think that maybe brings up your, your point of, who gets to judge what creativity is? It has utility for at least that person, maybe not anybody else. Um, but our entire brain is, is we're just a creative machine really mm-hmm. to our detriment. You know, some, mm-hmm. I'm sure detriment of being able to detect and understand really what reality is like. Um, really not that good at detecting reality. We have to have all sorts of tools like science to make sure that we're on the right path here. Um, that's why we have, you know, lots of different, different belief systems, um, that maybe have some utility for us. Um, but not in all cases. So. Oh, wow. There's, there's a lot there. I, um, the idea of, uh, that the whole brain is, you know, I think going back to the pop culture kind of ideas about the brain is 
so many times you'll hear people say, well, this little part over here does this. It's the lizard brain or this little thing is the thing that does, you know, X, Y, Z. And uh, and like you say, the le- the left brain, right brain thing, you know, and the, the, the right brain is creative. And so if you're left handed, that means you're creative and artistic. What? And if you're if you're uh Left brain, you're going to be really logical and, you know, and so I mean, I'm a lot of us bought into that when we were younger because it sounded so brilliant. And so whenever, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm phrenology, really. <laughs> yes, yes, the type of phrenology um, bumps in our heads. So as we get into this, caught in that, it's a, it's a mental model in a sense of, okay, this does this and this. And so it, it has some utility, but it, it's like we've been talking about the analogies are great, but at some point analogies break down, you know, they don't always work, but they'll, they'll have utility. So we, we use our brain's creativity to create the analogy to work until something better comes along to really understand the concept. You know, I would say that would be the case with your students. They, they understand the concept and they go and they keep going until they get better at understanding the whole thing. Yeah. And, I think what you're saying is very, especially in the arts for people who uh, are musicians, for example. I mean, to be a decent musician, you have to practice a great deal. And, you know, we we hear the the Angela Duckworth thing, you know, you have to have 10,000 hours of practice and and that kind of thing. And uh, as a novelist, I was told that I had to write a million words of fiction before I would be any good. Thank you very much. (laughs) So I've done that. So I guess I'm good now. I don't know. <laughs> the, um, you know, but it's the idea that but we have, we are creating those neural pathways in the artistic thing that we do or what's a sport. You have to practice golf swing 10,000, you know, work help us on that one, but um, <laughs> 10,000 hours to, to get, um, to get good at it. So, um, okay. From a, you know, from a daily life situation though, um, how does that, you know, we, we've t- touched on this. How does creativity help us function in the world? You know, for you personally, what, you know, beyond your teaching uh, or even in your teaching, how do, how do you see creativity happening in your life, especially teaching young adults? And some of us are getting older than they are. <laughs> I mean, just on an everyday basis, just, you know, navigating through the environment, especially when something happens that you're not expecting. Um, so even, you know, taking your normal route somewhere and, so, you know, is blocked. So what am I going to do now? Um, you know, just things like that. Um, in regards to, I mean, I think, especially when I apply it to my job and in, in teaching, I'm always trying to come up with like different ways to either explain a concept or um, different ways to engage students in the class. And I think creativity. So not trying, not doing the same thing over and over again. Um, You know, there, there's, you know, uh, lecturing is, is getting a bad rep right now. And I don't think it's, it's lecturing itself that is necessarily a problem, but what are you doing in the context of, of lecturing? Um, And so, you know, if you're just getting up there and you're restating the same information that students can read in the textbook, then yeah, maybe that, 
um, can be an issue. But if you're re, uh, not restating, but if you're explaining things in a different way, coming up with activities for students to be able to apply it in novel ways, coming having them come up with their own examples. Um, so I think creativity in that way can empower students um, and, and instructors to express you know their ideas and their opinions in in new unique ways Mm -hmm. um and then touching on something i think travis said about um creativity or, or you know the the either you're being creative or you're not following the rules and i think we see that a lot you know in the in uh in education um and why students feel like they maybe can't express their unique ideas um, that usually are coming from their experiences that we said in the beginning is important. Um, and so if a student fear, you know, especially the reliance on grades and having to do it the, the right way, which in their minds might be, you know, a certain way. And so that stifles their ability to be creative. And so in my own life, I'm trying, I try to come up with ways that students can express their creativity, but at the same time, showing that they understand the concepts that they need to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're lucky in that we teach psychology because um, I'm constantly telling my students, okay, think about this. How does it apply to your life? Where have you experienced this? Um, And then, you know, that allows them to think about it in in their own way um yeah i'm not sure if that actually answered your question (laughs) yeah i did um so just for you travis um whether it's in your profession or because you said you also um do counseling and i know obviously you can't get into that but um may except in a generic way but um you know, and just in your everyday life, where do you see, are you ever surprised by your creativity? I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. You're just like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a piece at where we have to allow that to happen. Um, you know, I, I believe well, mentioned, I mentioned, you know, that we have, we have so many constrictions that sort of are placed on, you know, what, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Right. You're, you know, and, and I think this, this comes up all the time for people. Like, I don't know, maybe you have an idea in a meeting or something like that, you know, and you have to make the decision. It was like, Oh, do I, do I share that? Uh-huh. Or is that just too weird? Right. Um, <laughs> and Hey, where did that thought come from? And, and you have to sort of allow, allow that creativity to, to be expressed as well. I mean, I think we can have creativity, but then there's sort of that expression and, 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 and people are scared of that as well. Like what will happen if, if I express myself that way? And if we've had that experience of, you know, drawing a a purple tree, like I said, and I've had people that say, you did that wrong. That also now creates the idea of what happens when I don't follow the rules, what happens when I am creative. And so that that really stifles people. And and so from a from a mental health and the counseling perspective, I see that all the time. I think that might be one of the biggest things that people are worried about, that I'm going to get rejected if I if I show myself to the world. And so I, I, I really do think that creativity is something that people are really sometimes quite terrified of um, because they see this is what the world expects of me, but that's not how I am. 
And that creates a lot of that conflict, you know, and, and I think my role as a therapist is a lot of times to normalize some of that, to allow some of that freedom of expression, to play around with some of those ideas. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, sort of personality theorists and, and one of the personality theorists I really liked was George Kelly. And he talks about um, that, you know, if we want to understand why a person does something, it's because of the way that they anticipate the consequences that are going to happen is what they think is going to happen when I do that. If I think, Hey, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to draw this and then I will be criticized. Now I'm less likely to do that. If I think that's going to be appreciated, I'm more likely to do that. Whether they are accurate in that. And this is again, where, where our brain can deceive us. Our brain makes up a reality of what things are going to be like when we imagine this is going to be the consequence. So therefore I'm not going to do that. That reality is very real. To, to the individual. We yeah. act on, on our perceived reality, not necessarily what is going to happen in the real world. And so when people have that ability to be in an environment where they can express themselves and maybe play around with that, to think, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe if I share this idea, this will be appreciated. Um, maybe if I, maybe if I allow this idea to continue that I also have voices in my in my mind of, you know, other people that maybe have criticized me in the past. Maybe if I stifle that a little bit, maybe this will be okay. We base our expectations about what is going to happen based on our past experiences, Mm -hmm. even when our situations change all the way back you know, sometimes to our childhood experiences, um, you know, even though we're now, you know, maybe adults or we're in a different job where we have different bosses, different colleagues, different friends, different partners. Um, we sort of take a lot of that, that baggage, we call that right. Like with us and make some anticipation. If I tell my partner, this, this is how they're going to react. Or if I, if I better not say something, well, you know, if, if, if we can, if we can sort of free that, I think that's, that's when we sort of allow the creativity to exit maybe in the brain and it come into the real world, um, you know, to, to manifest itself in, in a, maybe a behavior, a different behavior yeah. that challenges what we thought is going to happen. So I like what you're saying. I, that was, there's a lot of meat there I, uh, for, for both of you. I think sometimes that we are far more creative than we give ourselves credit for, but we have told us these, I don't know, call them lies, but we've, we've told ourselves these things that would, would stifle or constrain our uh, expression. And obviously there has to be, you know, some, you know, some boundaries, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but still, you know, we won't speak out in a meeting because, Oh, so and so is here, and they're gonna they're gonna you know criticize me, or they're gonna knock me down, or you know, or um, or lack of self uh, confidence in it, or whatever other reason to keep from you know the creativity is there, but it's not shared with anybody, you know. Um, so there, there's there's a whole a whole lot there. That's that's uh, pretty interesting. Um, can I can I add something? Because yes, I'm thinking right. of it from. Um, the teaching perspective. And I think sometimes as instructors, you know, we try something in the classroom (laughs) and then 
<laughs> either it, it works or it doesn't, or it's mixed. And so you get your student evaluations back and some students really loved it. Some students hated it and probably the minority hated it, but that's what you focus on. Yes. And so you don't do it again or you don't try to improve it because you focus on, you know, the one or two negative comments. And I think that that's just an issue that we have, like, you know, it's human behavior, the negativity bias. That's what we focus on. Um, I think we could do a whole podcast on evaluations, (laughs) but I think you're absolutely right. I think that we have allowed them to be far too constraining in uh, trying new things. You know, because you really I have found and I've been teaching for a long time um, that that you really have to do a a new thing or a new class three times at Mm -hmm. least before you get it to where it's it's right. You know, to where it's going to work for everybody. you got to refine it. you got to say, okay, I need to tweak it. And, you know, how do I apply this, et cetera, after rewrite the assignment, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not always the first time. It's a great idea, but it it just needs refinement. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think I mean, you're absolutely right. We allow one, you know, one piece of criticism to uh, to have some sort of effect on us that really shouldn't. Um, so back to what I was going to say about the, the learning community um, with mm-hmm. Alicia, a couple of years ago, um, I interviewed you and three of your colleagues about a project that you had engaged in with learning communities. You and another professor, Dr. Randall, had taught the same, more or less the same students in two classes. You taught the intro to psych and she taught the comp uh, one, English comp one. The other pair taught an English comp two class, which is literature based and uh, U.S. history after the Civil War. <laughs> and um, I, it was a fascinating conversation. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and now you're working as the assistant uh, director for the Center for Teaching. Excuse me. You're working as the assistant director of the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at Dalton State. <laughs> what have you seen about creativity and working it with CETL and working in faculty uh, or professional development with other faculty? Um, well, I want to address first the learning communities. So um, that was something that we had done in, you know, it was considered a high impact practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we it was two different classes that were connected just by the fact that students, the same students enrolled in both classes. Um, but what was different about that is that the assignments that were um, that the students had to do it in the composition class tied into what they were learning in the psychology class. And students seemed to enjoy that because they felt that the assi- the composition assignments had more meaning for them mm. uh, because they connected to something that they were already learning. And usually it also had something to do with like themselves. So they were able to apply to their own life. Um, one of them, we mentioned sleep earlier. One of the assignments was to cl- keep a sleep journal. And we connected that to the part of um, when we talked about sleep in the psychology class. And then they wrote about what they learned about, you know, their sleep habits and, you know, why they got too little sleep, how that might affect 
you know, their cognitions, their ability to concentrate, um, their ability to take an exam. And so they found more value in writing about something like that because they could apply it to themselves, but they also were able to take things that they were learning in the psychology class and add it to uh, their, their essay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just one example of how those two classes were tied together. Um, and I, I do think that allowed for a bit more you know, creativity in what in the assignments that we were using for the two classes. Mm-hmm. So how right. how could we connect these two classes together so that yeah. students found value in them? So um, in a sense, he put you in a situation where you had to rethink maybe at least I can especially see it from an English standpoint, mm-hmm. had to rethink meeting the same outcomes, but finding a different way, which is really what problem solving is all about. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was really fun. My work with SEAL. So, I have, I was serving as a CETL fellow for the past two years where I would offer programming related to teaching and learning. Um, And I'm starting a a new role this uh, next year as assistant director. Um, I think of CETL as sort of a a resource that instructors can use to explore their creativity. So um, hopefully, you know, we're, we're building it back up. Um, after a period where we didn't have it. And so um, hopefully our colleagues will start to find the value in what we're offering and and what it can be used for. Um, But we're there to, you know, offer uh, or help instructors come up with, you know, solutions to issues that they might be having in their classroom. So, you know, someone's having trouble getting their students to participate and they've tried all sorts of things. They're not sure, you know, what else they can do. And so maybe they come to one of us and we don't, we don't tell them what to do, but we might be able to point them in different directions um, and, you know, to, towards other resources where they can come up with something else to try. Um, so I think as educators, we have to give ourselves permission to be creative as well as, you know, asking our students um, to be creative. Uh, and so that's sort of how that, that that's how I see the center as a place where instructors can go to to, you know, brainstorm, try to solve um, issues that are coming up in their classroom, um, you know, figure out you know, maybe you don't know you know, what active learning is or how to implement that in the classroom or with assignments. And so we're a resource where you can we can help you figure that out. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, outside of your professions, your work, etc., where's a place where you use your creativity? Uh, well, I was trying to think of where I don't use this. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Okay. No, because let me ask you that that you enjoy it. It gives you joy. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I mean, you know, um, maybe in the in the very real sense of the world uh, word, um, real sense of the word, to create something um, that I can that I can see, um, that I can touch, um, does give me does still give me a lot of a lot of pleasure. Um, you know, I think you know, in, in education, a lot of times we do a lot of abstract 
things, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time, um, thinking, um, like, you know, or, you know, even, you know, as, as a therapist, a lot of times, you know, we don't really get to see the change, um, that, that we're helping facilitate, um, you know, so to, to create something, to build something, um, is, is something that I still, um, very much like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly working on, on projects and, and, you know, to sort of stand back and, and to be able to see something that, I, that I've made is, is very rewarding. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I know we, I think we do that in so, so many different ways. Like, you know, um, we have to be careful. Like I was thinking about parenting in some ways, like we, we have to be careful with that because, uh, there's, there's that balance of, of sort of allowing, you know, I think, you know, our kids to become who they are, uh, as, as opposed to creating something, right? Like, you know, we, 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 we you know, we influence, maybe we nourish and, and sort of see what happens and, you know, appreciate maybe what happens without, you know, it's like, oh, they didn't turn out the way I wanted them to be. I think <laughs> that's what careful. We have to be careful there. Um, but with solar, we have that we imagine things, right? Like, you know, I think that's a fun thing that, that people do, you know, they, they look at kids and they're like, what are they going to be like when they grow up? Um, you know, and then we get to see and appreciate that stuff. But, um, I, I, I definitely try to include creativity in my, in my life. I, I play music. Um, I, like I said, I, I build things. I, um, I, I like things where I get to play around, right? Like, to, you know, I, I don't know, I, I fly, I, I like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pilot. So the part of it that I like is like, Ooh, I get to like, we'll go check that out over there and I get to make a decision there. Um, I, I scuba dive and I like, Ooh, I get to check things out and, you know, um, you know, move in different directions that I normally get to in an everyday life. You know, our, most of our lives are two dimensional. So I like that three dimensional space that I get to occupy or, um, you know, I've played around with different art sculptures and, and those kinds of things. So, um, lots of the tangible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tangible, yeah. And, and I both I like pondering things, and you know I think there's a balance between between those things. But to exercise lots of those neurons that I have, you know, part of my motor neurons, you know, and and you know those other things, there's you know thoughts and, and ideas and. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alicia, what about you? Well, I have to say I'm not nearly as interesting as as Travis. I don't, <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have all those hobbies he's talking about. Um, I think, I mean, I'm constantly like um, reading things that, you know, aren't necessarily for work. They don't have to be work related. I I feel like I'm constantly sort of building that knowledge that can lead to creativity. But I was thinking more along like of my son and watching him. And um, I think he sort of motivates some you know, creativity because trying to figure out um, activities to do with him or, you know, us together working on something. Okay. How, how are we going to do this or how are we going to solve that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of it along those lines of seeing, sort of seeing it through, you know, his eyes, he's seven right now. So he's, he's learning a lot and, and that, that in and of itself is, is fun to watch. So yeah, how he comes up with things. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, and this, especially since you 
studied developmental psychology too. So <laughs> do you ever use him as an example in your lectures? So I actually, this past year, uh, made some videos, but I keep finding myself like missing the the ages. Like he'll be past a milestone and be like, oh, I should have created, I should have videoed him when he was the right age for this. And so, yeah, I, I, I've done it when I remember to do it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I want to thank you, you two for being with us. We've been discussing the human mind, creativity, the brain, and its place uh, as as our in our human lives on this podcast with Dr. Alicia Briganti and Dr. Travis McGee-Forst, both psychology faculty at Dalton State College. If you've enjoyed this talk, please share it with friends and write us a review. Thank you for listening. <laughs>